You're listening to Marks of a Healthy Church, a Sunday school series taught by the elders and deacons of Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Talking now about sound doctrine, uh, we said as we start this series, which is going to be a long extended series, we want our people to know uh, sound doctrine, we have to know about our church, our direction. So sound doctrine is for life and the life of the church. We have reiterated over and over again that it is our responsibility to live godly lives. The truth of the matter is, we're glad for the church, it's God's plan and program, but ultimately, you are responsible and I am responsible for our own spiritual growth. It's on you. You need to have a vibrant, personal walk with Christ. And this is where sound doctrine helps us. It helps us live godly lives, and it then helps us to build healthy churches. Healthy churches, right? It's this, this collectively as individuals, now the the whole. You've heard the statement, you're only strong as the weakest link in a chain, right? And this is a church. We need to be build strong, healthy churches. In my limited time of ministry, almost 30 years, as I watch people and look at lives, the truth is, when we see anemic lives, anemic Christian lives, the problem is the Word of God. It's not being preached, it's not being taught, there's no emphasis on the Gospel, and so we are responsible for our own godly life and for the health of the church. We must learn and apply. So, up to speed now and where we've been, sound doctrine is for life, it's for reading and teaching the Bible, it's for holiness, It's for love, it's for unity, and it's my task this morning to finish off this portion with these three truths. Sound doctrine is for worship, it is for witness, and it's for joy. Okay, and so that's where we're going. So let's start with worship this morning. I'm good, thanks honey. I'm just going to do this and see what happens. All right? No, not your fault. Um, It's my fault. It's all my fault. Um, Oh, where were we? Oh, okay. Worship. When I say worship this morning, naturally, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And just be honest. Worship. Hmm? Sing. Sing. Okay. What are we doing there? What are we doing there? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Come together as a community of believers and praise the Lord. Okay. Steve, want to get a little bit more in there? That's good. Come together as a community of believers, praise the Lord. What else? Prayer. Prayer. All right. Anything else? Those are good answers. And I think you sort of hit on the thing as we think about worship is um, singing, music, what we do in there. Um, To many, worship is just music. And music is worship. And we have a tendency to worship music. And we've got to be careful. Because that's not all that worship is. David, a couple, maybe more a couple, a few months ago, we had a conversation with him about music. And, and David is a very eclectic person as far as his taste. And he sort of shocked us because he's been listening to the Christian station, which was really, I was encouraged by that. And then he shared this with us, and I shared it with a couple other people too. Said, but sometimes I get so mad I've got to shut the radio off. Well, that was interesting. Um, and I said, why? He said, because some of it's so trite and meaningless and stupid. Right? A lot of good things on Christian radio and a lot of good music. But sometimes you've got to be careful. There's a song, and I won't sing it for you, um, but it goes something like this. Um, 
This feeling can't be wrong. I'm about to get my worship on. Do you know that one? Okay. Does anyone want to sing it this morning? This feeling can't be wrong. I'm about to get my... You know, worship on. Take me away. It's a beautiful day. Is that how it goes? Don't be embarrassed. I was listening to it too. I'm not... All right? And I just envision people coming to church with this crotchety mean spirit. They walk through the doors and now they get their worship on. Right? I'm going to sing and I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to lift my hands up. And this is the extent of worship. Uh, This is a problem. This is a real problem. Um, Worship is not just having some intense emotional experience. Worship should certainly grip our hearts and our minds. Worship should carry us out of ourselves. The idea of corporate worship, that we come together and it's no longer about just us. The truth is, worship is not about you at all. I, I hate to pop your bubble on this one. If you're about to get your worship on and sort of get lost in your own little worship in there, um, I think you're missing the point. Worship is all about him. And that's what it's about. Period. Um, And we've got to be careful with this because we want to make it about us. We live in a very sick world today where we make everything about us. Right? Facebook, Twitter, right? It's all about us. Not with God. It's all about Him. So let's look together at Psalm 29. I want you to see this, verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 29 this morning. Starting at verse number 1. And this is a call to worship, right? A Psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. So the psalmist comes, David says, I'm going to summon you to worship, right? Give glory and strength, glory do his name, worship in the beauty of holiness. That word glory literally means weight, like heaviness, weight, and it had the sense of value, riches, honor, and worth. And what he's saying is, that when we give glory to God, we understand the magnitude of who he is, the weight of what we're doing, his worth, and his value. And the word worship means to prostrate, to bow down, to reverence, and adore. With the added idea of kissing the hand. I will not do it this morning. Kim is thanking me. <laughs> Joanne knows where this was going. Oftentimes when we talk about worship over the years, I would walk down to where my wife was, I'd get on one knee, I'd grab her hand, and I'd kiss her hand. Right? And uh, that was the idea of worship. Kissing the hand. And so worship is giving God the adoration, praise, and obedience that he is due. Okay? That's what worship is. So, sound doctrine is for worship what wood is for fire. What does wood do for fire? Do you know? Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts here this morning? Makes it hot. Yes? Where's Spencer? Makes it really hot. Okay. What else does wood do? Yes, Pearl? It consumes, yes. Matter of fact, it's necessary. It's the fuel. It is the fuel. No wood, got no fire. Got no wood, got no fire. That's exactly right. And so what we're saying now is sound doctrine is the fuel for worship. It's for worship. I I gave this before, and I hope you don't get tired of hearing it, but Alistair Begg was out in California visiting a church, and when he walked in on Sunday morning, there was a worship leader there. I'm not sure if he had skinny jeans on or not. It really doesn't matter. But he was a worship leader, and um, 
The first thing he said to the congregation was this. How y'all feeling today? Right? And Alistair Begg said, how am I feeling? I feel terrible. I feel terrible. And he went through this whole litany of all the problems he was facing. And he came in that morning feeling terrible. He said, don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. And then he started to talk about what he knew. He knew God was a sovereign king. He knew Jesus Christ is Lord. He knew that he was redeemed by the blood of Christ. He knew that he was beloved, bought, redeemed, ransomed. He knew that Christ would never leave him or forsake him. And you know what happened? He started to feel better. <laughs> it wasn't in his feelings. It was in the knowing. What do you know? And this is what sound doctrine does for our worship. We must know him truly. Do you know there are two ways to be idolatrous? One is um, to worship something other than the true God. But the other way to be idolatrous is to worship the true God in the wrong way. In a way that he's not described. That's why sound doctrine is so important. Because it's how we know God. There is glory. The glory of our God is in the knowing of him. So, this is not just, just read your Bible and get through your chapters. No, Learn sound doctrine because in the learning of sound doctrine you will know God and in the knowing of God you will naturally worship Him when you know Him truly. Um, when, when I was 12 years old, and I can remember this clearly, I walked into a 2,000 seat auditorium and it, and it was on the organ side. This is big. This is the organ side. You don't know this, but it was the organ side. And I walked in with a friend of mine named... Uh, what's your cousin's name? Brett? Brett? Brett, not Brett, Brett. And when we walked in, he introduced me to some girl for the very first time. And when I looked at that girl, I thought to myself, she is beautiful. 12 years old, but I knew what beauty was. And then I said this to myself, I love her. I love her. And I think at that moment, I realized I'd marry that woman at 12 years old. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Um, I did love her, but that love was so infinitesimal because I did not know her, right? Now, after 37 years and almost 32 years of being married, she does not love me. Um, (laughs) But, but, I know her. I I know the woman that she is. I've watched her grow. I, I love her, I adore her, I respect her. And the love now is totally different than it was with a 12-year-old boy. Do you understand that? Christians, you're missing it. And I don't doubt when you say, I really love Jesus. Right? You do. But it's in the knowing of him, the profound knowing of him and who he is, his character, his attributes, what he does, what he doesn't do, that I've learned to know him and to love him. We can get lost in that. That's deep. Sound doctrine uh, holds before us the beauty and wonder of God. Sound doctrine tells us why we should worship him. And sound doctrine draws out and motivates our worship. So let's do a little exercise together this morning, because you like exercises on Sunday morning. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. And I hope this helps as we look to the Word and understand the importance of sound doctrine. 
Matter of fact, I'll have someone maybe just read Psalm 95 verses 1 to 2. Would someone look after that? Eric. Then will someone read verses 3 through 5 when I tell them? Joanne. And then finally someone read verses 6 through 7. Someone want to grab that? Charlene, thank you. So, um, we'll just, we're going to read the first two verses first, and then we're going to work our way through. Psalm 95. And I want you to see this morning um, how sound doctrine, how teaching, how the Word is going to direct our worship. Okay? So, Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto Him with song. Right. So David now is calling us to worship, calling us to rejoice, calling us to praise, okay? So this is a summons to worship. Now, here's what happens. He's going to tell us initially why to do this. Look at verse number 3 through 5. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth, and the strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His, and He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Okay, so what's the first word in... Verse number three, right? Four. What does four mean? Yeah, because. Because. What we just said. Come and worship. Four. Why? Why should we worship him? Right? It doesn't say because you feel good this morning. Because things are going your way. Because, man, you got your worship on and it's looking really good today. Right? That's not what he says. He says, for God is great. Not only is he great, he's a king above all gods. He goes on to talk about the fact that he alone is the sovereign king over all the earth. And the idea as you think about these thoughts is this. The God of heaven is great. He has no rival in heaven. He has no rival in earth. Therefore, he should have no rival in our hearts. None. Why? Because he's great. David says, here's the call to worship. For, because, initially I want you to know this. He's worthy of our weight, of our glory, of our honor, because he's a great God. Now watch what he does next. And this is really cool to see this, because I think it's going to help us with our idea of worship. He summons us, and he tells us, initially, here's what's going on. God is great. He is a sovereign. He's made it all. I'll leave verses 6 and 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. And it goes on, it, it, it stops there. That's actually a new thought there. But verse 6 and 7, now he goes from initially you should worship God, and then he makes it intimate. He says he is our maker, right? So we see the glory of this God. And again, when, he, when, when I'm talking about intimate now, it's not about me. It's still not about me. It's the acknowledgement now that there's intimacy because he is our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So come to worship. Come to worship God because he's great. That's initial. But now look at this. Not only is he great, but the very God who formed this world with his hands are now the hands that lead you that feeds you, that shepherds you. Can I tell you something? That's something to praise Him for. That's something to worship Him about. That this is the God we serve. And this is the way worship is to look. Does that make sense? Can you see where that's kind of more important than just coming in and getting your worship on? Now it's informed. Now I'm thinking. Now I know this God. I know how he's interacted with me. I know what he's done. I am now the sheep of his pasture. I've been saved and redeemed. These are things that we can get lost in. 
And I'm telling you something. One of the reasons we don't get lost in these things is because we never read the Word, think about the Word, meditate on the Word, and truly worship Him. There's something liberating about worship. It frees us from ourself, and I want to tell you something. It frees us from sin. You could, I'm going to talk about this morning from 1 Corinthians 5, which is a terrible passage for communion. <laughs> terrible, right? But it's good. Um, but there is something about deliverance. We can't do it. But when I see the beauty and the purity and the holiness of God and what he's done for me, it empowers me to be delivered like nothing else. Because my affections are changing. Do you see? And, and my brother and sister, this is why worship is important, right? It's important. Okay, any questions, comments on that? Confessions? Yes, Dave. I just think, you know, when you think God is good, right, and God is love, mm-hmm. and if you base only that off of an, emo- an emotional response to God, then when trials and temptations come, you, you don't fear the Lord. You, you, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And you need to see your place before God. He is God the maker and He created you and He bought you with a price. You know? And when you just are looking for an, emo- an emotional response to obedience to God, you're very likely not going to believe God and not going to obey Him. Exactly. And, so, and then I think out of that comes the universalism where God is love so we can't condemn anybody. Right. Because we're all sinners, but we don't want to be condemned by right. God. It, it all has, I mean, thoughts and ideas have consequences. Yeah. And if my thoughts about God are wrong, then everything that follows will be wrong. And not only that, thing, I think you're right. I think a lot of believers, not knowing who God is and how he works and operates, when they've been told he's loving and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, when it doesn't happen then, there's only two people to blame. You blame yourself because you don't have enough faith, or you blame God because he's impotent. It's bad theology. It's not sound doctrine. And it's terrible. And another, you're right again, universalism. I, I don't know if we talked about this. Uh, Justin did such a great job on the, on the topic of hell, which was, but if you could change one doctrine in our finite minds, wouldn't it be Rob Bell's right? Love wins, it's all good. But that's not the God we serve. Because not only is he loving, he's holy and just, and he sees the destructive nature of sin. And sin kills everything. And if I don't know sound doctrine, I end up thinking things that are normal. Yeah, of course. You wouldn't believe the nonsense that takes place in Christian gatherings where no, it's almost like a pool of ignorance at times. And everyone's got these thoughts and ideas, but they're not sound. And when they're not sound, what happens is you're not sound. And when you're not sound, you're not sticking around. You're not, because there'll be something else that draws your attention away. This is important. So, so get this. This is not just an exercise of, yeah, I read my Bible, and now I'm learning how to outline it for because No. It's worship. It's sound doctrine. It changes everything. Everything. Make sense? Still with me? We sleepy this morning? No. Okay, good. Are you sure? All right. All right. So worship's important. Sound doctrine is that fuel for worship. Now, just, just so, this will help us a little bit, because um, that's what we do today. In our church service. That's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be worshiping God. We ought to be showing His weight, His glory, His majesty. We ought to adore and lift Him high. So, how, does, how do we do that? Well, the New Testament doesn't lay out an order of service for corporate worship. Um, it's interesting. I find this 
um, helpful. But the Bible doesn't tell us, uh, first you sing your three hymns, do announcements, take the offering. It doesn't do that at all. And I think it's beautiful because we come from different cultures and different backgrounds. I think it could be a lot of different things. But there are things that we know the early church did when they came together to worship. And so we need to see those things as well. So let's take a look at these. Again, verses to be read this morning, which would be really helpful. 1 Timothy 4.13. Someone want to read that one? If you missed out and you want to read last time, you want to do it this time, this is your opportunity. 1 Timothy 4.13. Brother Dan, thank you. 1 Timothy 2.8. Don't be shy. There you go, Andrew. Thank you, brother. Um, Ephesians 5.18-19. Someone got that one? Rachel, thank you, sister. And then let's just do uh, Matthew 28, 19, and I'll tell Hesse, thank you. Ah, we might as well do 1 Corinthians 11. Someone want to do 1 Corinthians 11 because we'll be there today? All right, Amy, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Okay? So we now know, we're going to know what the early church did when they came together to worship. And it's important that we do the same thing. So, first verse. So I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Mmm. Paul says, hey, until I get there, here's what you're supposed to be doing. Read the word. Exhort. Teach doctrine. This is worship. You've got to do it God's way. Right? In spirit and in truth. You need those both. Okay? So, the church came together and does come together to read and preach the word. It should be part of our services. This is something that we ought to be doing. If you're in a church and the book is not opened... Or on a screen, or on your phone, something's wrong, right? What else do we have? If you're looking for someone else's opinion, or their charisma, or their genius, that will soon dry up, and it will not feed you. We worship through the Word. Number two, 1 Timothy 2.8. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Quarreling. Yeah. Hey, last week I had ambassage, ambassage, delegation. I, I prefer delegation. That was way too hard. Uh, pray. We're to pray. The church should be praying. And I have to tell you something. I, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I think our church should pray more than it does. To be honest with you, evangelicals ought to be praying people, and it should be part of our services that we pray, right? What else does the church do? Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Yeah, we should be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll talk more about what those look like, but there ought to be praise. And, and that's what's really unique about Christianity, too, the, the beauty of praising God through song. It's a beautiful thing. And then these two, we'll read them together. Matthew 28, 19, and then 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the church ought to be baptizing folks. And the church should be doing something else. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. Took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the sacrifice of the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. That's communion. Right? And so in our churches, to worship properly, we know we need to read the word, we need to pray, read and teach the word, pray, sing psalms, celebrate the Lord's table and baptism. Right? We should be in awe and greatness of the glory of our God. And so when we sing songs, they should be doctrinally sound and packed. Is it right to sing just hymns or just contemporary music? <laughs> Psalms only, no instrument. Ooh, you're, you're one of those guys. Rosaria mm-hmm. Butterfield's like that. In her church, they don't, they don't use any instruments, just Psalms. They always just sing as Psalms. All right? So, old stuff or just new stuff? As long as it's sound, it doesn't matter. As long as it's sound, it doesn't matter. Listen, let me just help you with something. Um, some old folks, older folks, sorry, older folks think, <laughs> older folks think, just the hymns, we're just going to use the hymns. And younger people say, no, the hymns are ancient, archaic, let's just use the new stuff. Years ago, we had, um, when we decided to put the screen up there so you could see the words, right? Um, yeah, some people were a little bit upset and, and so it came to my attention that we had a couple in our church who was like, oh, I don't know why we're doing that we should only be using hymns and I thought, okay I made a phone call and said, hey, do you mind if I come and talk to you for a minute? And they said, sure I don't know if they knew what I was coming to talk about but that's what I was coming to talk about so I showed up to their house, I sat on the table I had a hymn book with me and I had the words to In Christ Alone and I sat down at the table and I said, hey, I heard that you're upset. Yeah, we're upset. And they went through the whole thing about how important the hymn book is and how we're moving away from the hymn book and how we should just sing hymns on the hymn book. I said, okay, let me open up a hymn and let me read it to you and I want you to tell me what this means. And so I open up the hymn to Footsteps of Jesus that Make the Pathway Glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. Okay, what does that mean? It's... Yeah, and the best you could say is, well, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and it's poetic. I get it. Fine. But can I tell you something? I don't even know what that means. Footsteps of Jesus that make the pathway glow. Okay. We will follow the steps of Jesus wherever they go. If you like the song, fine. Don't be mad at me. You can like whatever you want. Do you like it? Well, he just said, is that a hymn? It is a hymn. It's a terrible hymn. Um, you should go to the hymn book sometime. You should read the hymns. Some of them are not right. Yeah. It's Christmas. I, mean, I don't want to start. I don't want to start. Okay. That Christmas hymn the Christmas song is going to... No, crime he makes drives me crazy. As if Christ was not a human being. Okay? It's not right. But we sing them. And it's okay if it comes from a hymn book. So then I sat down and I said, Now let's go through Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my rock, my joy, my strength, this cornerstone. It goes on and on. Can I tell you something? I know what that means. Even though I got the words wrong, I know what that means. Right? What are you laughing about, Andy? What are you laughing about? What did she say? <laughs> I know they weren't the right words. I said they weren't the right words. So were they convinced? Yes, they were convinced. They apologized and said, you're exactly right. And wasn't trying to make it, but the point is, our music should be packed with scripture. It should be doctrinally sound, right? Um, and, and listen, I know there are times that some things are more sentimental. I've got songs that I grew up with that I, I, I do love, and I know, eh, I fudge on that a bit, right? 
Um, and some people like, you know, Southern Gospel stuff as well. Uh, an amen? Oh. Okay, visitors aren't allowed to speak. Um, as long as it's right, right? That's just not my genre. That's fine. And you're right, Joanne. If it's good, there's an... Okay, anyways. Stop. I got a thousand things going in my head. I'm going to stop. Okay. You get the point. The point is, when we worship together, the word must be opened. Open the word. We must sing gospel, doctrinally sound songs. We ought to pray, and it should be scriptural. One of the best things we've done on Wednesday night is we, we have these handouts that we give people of saints in the past who have prayed or just verses to pray through. It is changing the way we look at prayer. Because it's rich and it's deep and it's in line with the character of God. Okay? And then finally, this, for this point, um, I think Dan said, worship's what we do in there. It's not. We should, but all of life is worship, my friend. All of life is when I get up in the morning and I ascribe to him weight and glory and beauty. And I live my life in accordance with that. So my life doesn't say, what a great guy, what a great girl this. No, my life shouts his glory. Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know the passage. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable act of worship is your life. Your life. Believer, you've got to get it together. Your life is an act of worship. And, and I would, I would, I, I don't want to, okay. So, as important as this is as a body, it's just as important as you leave this place. That, that people in your home, in your community, at your place of work, know that you're a follower of the king. Eric? If, uh, like, this battle's been going on for a long time, so if Cain had a better understanding of doctrine, he would have worshipped. Correct. Absolutely. Cain had his own ideas. And they were detrimental. And we have to be careful, right? Kim just read an article the other day about a very popular song that's out today, and, and we've sung it here. It was, just, it was describing love in a way about how God views it. And the guy was very good on the critique. He said, I, I, that's fine. He said, we've got to be careful. Even as we describe love, we've we got to see it from God's perspective and not ours. Because it's not about us, okay? So worship is a way of life. Um, worship is not whipped up. Okay? It's not a state of Zen. It's a response of the heart, mind, soul, and strength to God, um, to his glory, uh, his mighty acts. Um, we stir up worship not by focusing on worship, but we, we stir up worship by filling our mind's eye with a vision of the beauty and the holiness of God. Does that make sense? You're not just going to go whip up worship. Oh, you can do that with your emotions, I guess, but that's going to fade and die eventually. You can't sustain those emotional highs. I, I, I have friends that I love who are, who are Pentecostal, and I love them when they preach the word. But I have to tell you, I've seen Pentecostalism really destroy people because those emotions after Sunday morning don't work on Monday. They just don't. I need more than that. I need sound doctrine for worship. Okay, any questions, comments? Some songs that are sometimes hard to sing, because, like, take my silver and my gold, not a mite of the Irish gold, mm-hmm. take my life and let it be consecrated. You know, you got to know what you're singing. Yes. Oh, what do you mean, like the words? Yeah, the words. Oh, if you don't make, yeah. Yeah, you have to know. You have to know what you're singing. You have to know what you're singing. You should know what you're saying. You should know what you're singing about. And then, uh, these newer songs from I will do this and I will do that, I don't sing that too much. You shouldn't. 
I was listening to an advertisement on the Christian radio a little while back, and they said, our songs glorify God. And they gave a, a clip of four songs that glorify God. I have to tell you, every one of them said, I, 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 I. Exactly. I went, I, 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 I. It's not. Right? So, and, and listen, don't go in critiquing like, oh, you're so bad. Not more about it. We're, we're trying to do our best. Right? Right? And I think that we've made real headway in this. So, sound doctrine is for worship. Number two, quickly, sound doctrine is for witness. Witness. Um, You won't seek a Savior unless you know that you need a Savior. Right? Um, And you won't know you need saving until you come face to face with the God to whom you're accountable. Be careful. Sound doctrine is for witnessing. It's not enough to say Jesus loves you. Does he? Yeah. But if that's what you're banking on for your witnessing plan, it's a bad idea. Or to say this classic, do you want to go to heaven? Have you ever met someone, maybe punky kids, who said, nope, I want to go to hell and really understand it? I got to tell you, the most horrific thing I've I've almost ever experienced in in a service we had in our old church a kid who was 16, 15, 16 years old, was hit by a car and killed. Public school kid. And they had a guest speaker come in that the family knew. And, and the 1,500-seat auditorium packed. Packed. Most of them teenagers. And a guy talked about this kid's life, never talked about the gospel, never went into detail. At the end of the service, here's what he did. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Not, don't, don't do that now. I'm talking now. Don't do that. Pay attention. Um, he said, bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here today and you want to go to heaven, raise your hand. Then he said, while your hands are raised, pray this prayer. And then, when they prayed this prayer, he told them they were all born again, they're eternally secure, and they're going to be in heaven someday. Can I tell you something? That's damnable. Those kids had no idea what they're doing. They did not know God. They didn't know the gospel. They knew nothing. You better know sound doctrine when we witness. Know the storyline. And, okay, and if you think, oh, come on, I mean, I'll show you in a minute what Paul does, but you need to know the storyline. You need to know that God is holy. Man is a rebel. Jesus Christ is a Savior. And you've got to make a response to that. And if you just ask people if they want to go to heaven, or do you believe Jesus loves you, and there's one room for one more guy on the baseball team, that, that's not enough. It's not enough. We won't read Acts 17, because we're going to run out of time here in a second. But here is Paul speaking to the lost. They're on Mars Hill. These are not, by far, Jews. They don't have a Bible background. They didn't grow up in Sunday school, right? And I want you, we won't read it, but read it today. And look at what Paul says to these people who are lost, Maybe hearing the gospel for the first time. Here's the list. Is this on your sheet? Maybe it is. I'm not looking at a sheet. Is there a list on what is said there? Okay, let's go through it. Talking to people who don't know anything about Christ. Here's what he wants them to know as he's going to push for a decision. The existence and lordship and self-sufficiency of the one true God. Because people have lots of... Hindus will add Jesus to their list. He's not... God. God's creation of the universe, special creation of man and unity of the human race, providential rule over all history and human life, man's responsibility to rightly 
um, serve the God of heaven. The need of repentance to find mercy from God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the final judgment of all people, and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you something? I don't think you've got to do that in every scenario. But if you're going to present the gospel and you're going to witness to people, you better have some idea of what we're talking about. Paul used that to people who had never heard before. And he expected them to know some of these things that are common to man. And then talk about Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and that he will be Lord someday. It's important. We're not just trying to get notches on our belt. Oh, I won five people to the Lord this week. I've seen it, brother. I've seen it, sister. It's not good. I praise God for people because it is easy to believe. But easy believing that says pray a prayer is not good. And you know what happens? You go back to those people five years later, and you ask them if they're born again, and they say, yes, I prayed a prayer. And you say, where's your fruit? I don't like church, don't like people, don't read the word, nothing's changed in my life, but I did that. Well, guess what? They're done. Unless God opens their eyes, they truly believe that they're born again, and they'll live their life never wanting church, God's people, God's word, never conviction, never chastisement, none of it. That's problematic. And then finally this morning, worship is for joy. Let's look at John 15, 11. This is just a good verse just to stop with. John 15 and verse 11. Jesus speaking, These things have I spoken unto you, right? His word, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. You know why sound doctrine is so important? Because your joy can be full. Why is it full? Because you're really smart. No. Because you know God truly. And when you know Him truly, there is great joy. There is great joy. And so, I hope by this stage, three weeks in now, you understand that doctrine is important. It's life-changing. May we be dedicated, motivated to get into the Word and allow it to change us. Any questions, comments before we stop today? Anything at all?